Hello, darlings. Welcome to the Girl Podcast. I'm the girl, one girl, that girl, Nola Nicole. And together, you and I will examine the images of Black women in film and TV. Let's go. I want to start by shouting out Peel the Mango and black underscore daria 84 and underscore allergic to bs now look i end each show with a quote from a black film i post it on instagram and folks will guess the title of the film in the comment section now those three folks got the film right last time you got me supergirl is from the 1994 film low down dirty shame all right now on to today's topic This week, I want to talk about the series, She's Gotta Have It. Now, the connections between Nola and her male partners, these connections sway back and forth between trifling trysts and mature emotional connections. And that stands out, or those stand out as the obvious topics for discussion. But none of those male lovers interest me, and I'm sure that talk of her poly lifestyle oversaturate the media. I don't even want to spend time on Opal Gilstrap, or as I like to call her, the Mulatto Cersei. Her mean streak, she's got it. I mean, it's warranted, right? Due to Nola's shenanigans, but girl, lighten up. I mean, you already light skin, but lighten up some more. Like you you really need to chill out. Okay, now maybe we can discuss Opal Gilstrap them down when we discuss women like Mrs. Tate from Antoine Fisher or Eva Dandridge of Deliver Us from Eva or um, Craig Girlfriend from Friday. I forget her name, but Paula J. Parker. When we discuss those rays of sunshine, then that's when we can discuss good old Opal. But until then. I want to focus on one of Nola's most complicated and often neglected relationships, her friendship with Clorinda. Clorinda Bradford, played wonderfully by Margot Bingham, embraced her demanding temperament long ago. It's like when she was five years old, someone told her, you're mean. And she just said, yeah, bitch, correct me that's me correct you right and you know her expectations of her friends and her goddamn drink orders are exacting season one episode one did y'all see how homegirl read that hippie bearded server his rights because he had the caucasity to pass off that value village vodka 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 i don't drink because alcoholism I'm paranoid okay so um excuse me vodka he tried to pass off that value village vodka for that top shelf liquor homegirl ordered the great goose but he bought her silver ducks all right and Chloe wasn't having it and she brings that same energy when interacting with the other inhabitants of Fort Greene okay well Sort of, right? Because we never see her be verbally aggressive with her white lover, Danton. 
and she seems to be careful in her dealings with Nola, darling. Now, Nola has had to endure one or two of Clorinda's exhausting diatribes, but there seems to be a line that even the bullheaded Clorinda dare not cross, okay? So let's talk about the film She's Gotta Have It just a little bit because Spike Lee bases his Netflix series She's Gotta Have It on his 1986 film of the same name, which captures Nola Darling, the sex-positive, polyamorous, pansexual artist living and loving in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. The Nola Darling of the film, played by Tracy Camilla Johns, did all of this with a, with a quiet confidence during some of the more intense moments that called for a scream or an intense stare, Nola might lazily roll her eyes, right? Now, DeWanda Wise plays Nola Darling with a sexy, rambunctious spirit that is fitting for a brown-skinned, liberal millennial. Okay, I'm with it, right? The 1986 Clorinda, played by Spike Lee's sister, Jawa Lee, only takes up about two, not even about, it only takes up two scenes of the film, which was incredibly underwhelming, especially since the film opens with the opening passage of Zero Neil Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God, which is the essential womanist text. You may be familiar with this passage because season two of the series opens with their eyes are watching God. Now, a pedestrian reading of that text may focus solely on Janie Crawford, the female protagonist, and her three lovers, Logan Killix, Joe Starks, and Tea Cake. And it's it would be fitting to kind of associate that with the show, She's Gotta Have It, because Nola also has three male lovers. But... You know, for me, at least, examining her life with these three men is certainly fulfilling work, but we can't forget about her best friend, Phoebe Watson. And when I say, and I I really want to make it clear that talking about these three men, someone has to do that research, right? It is definitely fulfilling. I, I really mean those words, but when I say it's a pedestrian reading, I just mean that it's common. Um, That's not a value judgment, though. I just think that we cannot forget about Phoebe Watson, who is her best friend, okay? And we can't forget about her because the two women frame the story. The only reason we even witness Janie's life at all is because she's recounting her story to Phoebe. Platonic love is just as meaningful as romantic love or familial love in this story. And if the film wants to make use of Hurston, then why doesn't the film embrace all of the narratives that are important to their eyes or watching God? Clorinda of the series, she gets more camera time. Yes, she definitely has a fully fleshed out story. Sure. Um, her story becomes more complicated during season two. But I still feel like we're missing something with Clorinda. So some background. Mars and Clorinda used to date. Now, this was not the case in the film. Mars and Clorinda in the film never dated. But in the show, Mars and Clorinda used to date. Mars dropped Clorinda and started hooking up with Nola and became a regular in her nigga lineup. And we learned this in the series premiere. During a smoke session between the two ladies, is that what it's called? 
a smoke session. They were smoking weed. I don't do weed either because I'm super paranoid. Y'all, I'm already addicted to sugar and food. So I can't do weed because I just, I am afraid that I will become a weed head. Okay. I want to do it so bad. It looked like it's so relaxing, but I just know that I, it it just won't, it's not the business for me. Okay. But while they were smoking weed, Clarinda tells Nola that she broke the girl code by hooking up with Mars. And one wonders if the weed loosened her stiff demeanor, allowing her to even approach the subject at all. Now, Nola says that, you know, that wasn't my intention. That crazy motherfucker just make me laugh. Just trifling. And she says this with joy in her voice in front of Clorinda. And when Clorinda says, he made me laugh too, past tense. Nola answers her with, what do you want me to do, Chloe? And, you know, when she says this, she's looking directly at Chloe. She's coy. She's, you know, and I'm like, wait, you're saying this as if she knows that Clorinda can't provide a reasonable answer for her. What do you want me to do? Chloe, Clorinda don't know what she want you to do. She knows that Clorinda has too much pride to say, hey, girl, seeing you with this man hurts. Clorinda's ego and her commitment to snobbery won't allow her to say, listen, Mars meant something to me and you crossed the line by sleeping with him. And that has deeply impacted me. Both of you have deeply impacted me. And the fact that you are unapologetic about your actions hurts me even more. Now, Because I love a good story, I don't mind being teased with that juicy conflict, right? We don't want to see a big blow up and a resolution all at once. Had Clorinda had an answer for her in that episode, it would have been unfulfilling, right? Like spread it around just a little bit. I'm okay with that. Let the tension build. But the season never tends to the topic again. In the middle of season two, we learned that Clorinda was pregnant, girl, with Mars's baby, girl, and had an abortion, girl, and battled this trying time alone, solitary, girl. Can you imagine your best friend, your best friend, okay, and and ex-roommate fucking your used-to-be nigga? While you are pregnant with his child and weighing your options related to this pregnancy. When Clorinda tells Mars that she was pregnant when he decided to go full fuck nigga on her ass, he says, you fucking with me right now, right? Nigga, what? Nah, nigga. You and Nola the only ones doing the fucking, okay? And listen, I like to think that I am sex positive. I like to think that when I approach the subject of sex, I approach it with all positive connotations. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care who you're doing it with. Well, t- to a certain extent, right? Because you, if you out here, you know, trying to be R. Kelly part two, then I, you know, I we need to have a, a conversation. But for the most part, I embrace different sexualities, different arrangements, 
right? But I also believe in fucking manners, okay? Did Miss Tina teach you manners, Mars? Because Miss Kathy sure enough taught me mine, okay? Hey, you say bless you after somebody sneezes. Hey, Nola, if somebody falls, you help them up. Don't sleep with your best friend nigga, girl, and hold the door for motherfuckers. Now, those were her exact words to me every night before she tucked me in, okay? That's what my mama told me. Now, what's so frustrating is that no one seems concerned with Clorinda's feelings in these moments. When Nola and Mars made the decision to have sex, they allowed their sex drive to matter more than the well-being of their friend. And that's fucked up and no one is talking about it. And there are opportunities in the show to discuss this. During the Puerto Rico episode, I know that's not the title of the episode. I think the title is called, Oh, You Don't Know. I think, don't quote me. All right. But during that episode, y'all know the one I'm talking about. Mars tells Nola that he and Clorinda had relations after he and Nola ended. And Nola says, oh my God, this is what this whole say. Mars. I know if that had to happen, we had to happen to get to this, then it all makes perfect sense. End of scene. Cut to Nola, Shemeca, Winnie and Mars in that whack ass Jeep on their way to drop money off to the Teco Relief Foundation. Well, wait a minute now. Hold up before we get to this goddamn charity work. Let's circle back to this um, shit making perfect sense because can you make it make sense to me because i am confused and if you know so much then did you know that clarinda was pregnant did you know that sleeping with married men might put you in a jam or two sis because you was out here looking real shocked when jamie's wife cheryl hemmed your ass up on the street now i am no fan of cheryl i cannot stand that child but nola lacks an awareness that you need to have if you fucking with people's marriages, you got to know that at any time you can you can get it. OK, because of the energy that you are putting out into the world. Now, I'm happy to be excited about Nola's stupidity in that regard. OK, I like to dislike Nola. I love that we have a problematic heroine. I like that she isn't superwoman or that she isn't morally superior. I like that the others don't look to her when they regulate their own moral compass, okay? Don't give me no 20-something girl with everything all together. Show me the crust of a motherfucker. There is beauty in that. But where are the crusty ends when it comes to Nola and Clorinda? You mean to tell me they are best friends and Mars rarely comes up? And when he does, the conversation is a snappy one? That don't make no damn sense. We also never see Clorinda pondering the subject while alone or even with Shemeca. Like I can see them being at lunch waiting on Nola and Shemeca bringing up Mars and asking, how, like, how are you dealing with that? You don't tell nobody? I enjoy disliking Nola. Again, I do. But I don't like being angry because I am starved of the inevitable battle between Clorinda and Nola when it comes to this specific betrayal because that's just annoying. During episode eight, 
Clorinda and Nola have a heated exchange about Clorinda's condescending tone, which is true. She do got a condescending ass tone and her inclination to hate on others when her life is in the shitter, which is true. She is a hater. Okay. Then they ask each other, why are things so weird between us? I don't, I don't know. Why are, why are things so weird? Why is it so fucking weird? Um, did y'all not see episode six? Because this, this would have been the perfect time to address the Mars bullshit. So y'all didn't see what Clorinda told Mars that she was pregnant and had an abortion. Y'all didn't see that? Cause I saw that. So that, that might be why things are weird. Okay. Even if the two don't verbally address it, that's fine. Give me a flashback. Show me Clorinda at the doctor's office. Show me Clorinda watching Nola whore around with Mars. Give me some clue that Mars is in the atmosphere and the subject is too painful to address. That makes sense, right? I need that. Or I need for them to fully tackle it. Or I need for Clorinda and Mars to have never been a thing because why introduce the damn gun if it ain't gonna, if ain't nobody gonna shoot the damn thing. And y'all, y'all introduce the fucking Uzi. Y'all introduce a fucking bazooka. At the end of season one, I thought, you know, maybe the writers want the viewers to know that the issue with Mars is a dead one and the friendship can't be broken by dick. But now that pregnancies and abortions are a part of Clorinda's storyline, I can't accept that hypothesis. It just don't make sense. You know, I didn't see many positive reviews for the second season. And to be completely honest, I didn't. It didn't seem like too many people were happy with season one. How did y'all like it? I, I, I loved season one. I love season two. But what keeps coming up, especially with season two, is like the storylines, the story arcs, the writing, the character development. Anytime I hear a negative review, these are the issues that people have. I keep hearing that these are major issues with the second season in particular. Um, you know, the Shemekka and Winnie love story seem to just hit us out of nowhere. When did Shemekka work up the nerve to take down Lady May's Big Booties for Less Corporation? You know, how is Mars dealing with finding out that his father is Mookie from Do the Right Thing? Because he sure as fuck don't discuss it with his sister. Um, Nairobi dad don't know how old she is. And for those of you who don't know who Nairobi is, that's Divine's daughter. Who's Divine? Why, that's Popo, the mayor of Fort Greene, the homeless cat who made trash art changed his name all of a sudden now this i care about divine but i don't know grown-ass nairobi and all of a sudden you got a damn daughter i felt like the show threw me emotional curveballs but i just didn't care it's like somebody you know posting passive aggressive messages about you online and you're like it's who is this now who are you i'm sorry did what have i done now, the directing, the motherfucking cinematography, the costuming, the set design, the music, everybody just raves about these elements. And so do I. It's beautiful. But is a beautiful picture enough to make people come back for a third season? I hope so. I really do, because I really do love the show. And maybe in terms of the character development, Maybe Spike is experimenting with different ways to tell a story. You know, I don't know. He's never been one tied to realism at all. 
So perhaps these issues are not mistakes, but choices that I'm just not feeling. Either way, look, we all watched motherfucking Game of Thrones and we were all dis-a-fucking-pointed. But a lot of me and tell me you ain't finna watch that damn prequel show. A lot of me. Thank you for joining me. You could have been anywhere, but you're here. I'm thankful for that. I want to end the show with an important quote from an important cultural figure. And this is an important one because the swelling needs to go down. So put the ice on it, Malik. Love you. Bye.